Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Yeah, and that's where we're going to be this evening, Hosea chapter number three. Of course, continuing our study of... Uh, of this awesome book, and I love, I've loved studying out the book of Hosea. Of course, I've read it a number of times before, never preached on it, uh, but going through and studying this and preaching it, and uh, just to kind of get us all on the same page, the book of Hosea, written by the prophet Hosea, and uh, it would be written at a time when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, so the nation of Israel was actually the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel would be about, uh, probably about 10 or 15 years away from going into captivity. Uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, would be about, about 80 to 100 years away from going into captivity. And uh, all this time, if you go, the children of Israel, they've been in the promised land now for a long time. David has been off the scene for a few hundred years. And, and what God had done is uh, God had continually sent prophets or preachers to go and preach truth and declare truth to his people, to Israel. But if you go and you read Psalm 78, the children of Israel, they just, they, they just kept having this up and down fellowship of God. They would follow God for a little bit and then they would go on their own. They would follow God for a few years and then they would walk away. And because of that, uh, they, had, uh, they had done what we're calling idolatry. And what was really a, just a, um, an absolute slap in the face to God, because they went into the promised land and they would take the false gods of the different uh, groups or people in the promised land, and they would begin worshiping those gods. They would begin saying, as they started to do in the book of Exodus, where Aaron said, hey, these are the gods. Remember, he had the molten calf. We read through that a couple weeks ago. He had that golden calf, and he said, these be thy gods that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Well, they knew very well that it wasn't that. They knew that that was just a golden calf made from the gold that they had literally the day before given to Aaron. And so they had this really, I don't know if this is the right phrase, this flippy floppy life. Is that a good phrase? Can I use that? They just went back and forth. They were like, we love God. We love idols. We love God. We're going to serve Baal. We love God. We're going to follow Ashtaroth. We love God. We're going to follow Molech. And so they just kept having this over and over and over again. And what God did is, he, as normal, God kind of got fed up with it. But because of his grace and because of his love, he kept sending prophets to them to preach truth. Hey, come back. He sent the judges to them uh, before there was a king. Hey, come back to me. He sent the kings and uh, even Saul right at the beginning was walking with God, saying to the children of Israel, serve God. And then David, hey, serve God. And then Solomon, hey, serve God. And then you get into Rehoboam and Jeroboam and, and down through all of the different kings, many of them bad, some of them good. But during all of it, you would have a prophet like Elisha or Elijah, a prophet like Amos or Joel a prophet even like Jonah that we read about that would be saying, come back to God. But the children of Israel just weren't getting it. And so often, because of the children of Israel not getting it, God would have to go to some drastic measures to try to get their attention. 
He would give what, we were, what we've been calling an action message. He would use the life of the prophet to, uh, uh, to try to speak truth into his people. Ezekiel, he was the one, had to lay on one side and lay on the other side, and his life was, was an action message, and Jeremiah would be another one, and, and others. And then you come to the book of Hosea. And I think out of all of the action messages of the Old Testament, Hosea is probably one of the most drastic. And here's why. It's a time when seemingly the voice of the Lord is silent. The children of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they're just kind of, again, committing idolatry against God, following after what they want and not what God would want. And as they're straying, God says to Hosea, Hosea, I've got a message for you. And we've already been through this. Hosea probably in excitement. Man, the voice of God's been silent. Yes, Lord, the beginning of the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, Hosea chapter one and verse number two. Hey, there was a beginning. I was excited about it. God was gonna speak to me. And we all know what Hosea said or what God said. He said, Hosea, I want you to go take a wife of whoredoms, of the children of whoredoms, and make her your wife. Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. That's a pretty drastic measure for the man of God. Hey, man of God, hey, prophet, hey, preacher, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Because my children have committed whoredoms against me. My children have committed adultery. My Israel has committed idolatry against me. And I'm going to use your life to get a hold of them. Hosea chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says that Hosea obeyed. He went and he took Gomer and he took her to wife. Well, we went through the story and uh, man, what a, what a great example Hosea is just obeying the voice of the Lord, not knowing the faith steps that would be. But uh, man, he just said, all right, God, if that's what you want, I'm gonna, I'm gonna obey you. And we were challenged in that message just to understand that God's gonna give us some, uh, uh, he's gonna give us some direction and some faith steps sometimes. And can I just tell you, it's probably not gonna be the same one he gave Hosea. I'm just throwing that one out there. But it may be, hey, I want you to take the faith step of witnessing to your coworker. I want you to take the faith step of giving. I want you to take the faith step of getting in your Bible. And man, the, the, the believer who's following the Lord and loving the Lord is gonna say, okay, like Hosea, all right, Lord, I'll obey. Hosea obeyed him and Gomer. They end up having a child. Jezreel was the first child. Jezreel... <clears throat> whose name we broke all down and God used the name Jezreel to show the children of Israel, listen, destruction is coming your way. Destruction is coming your way. I'm going to destroy because there, there are, basically God was saying there are consequences for the life, children of Israel, there's consequences for the life you're walking in. God used Jezreel to point out destruction. The next child, uh, Lo Ruhama. Lo Ruhama, meaning uh, um, uh, uh, unpitied, one not even known. And the name Lo, Lo Ruhama, we looked and understood that God used that to show the children of Israel rejection. Listen, when you are walking in sin, I, I reject that. I do not want that. That is not a part of what I gave you. Children of Israel, not only are you going to face consequences, but you're going to face rejection. And then that third child, Lo Ami or Lo Ami, and that name, 
God used it to help show isolation. Saying, hey, children of Israel, I don't even know you right now. You've walked so far away from me that I don't even know you. Not only is judgment coming and not only do I stand apart from you, but you're gonna be isolated. You are going to experience life without me. But then you read Hosea chapter two and verse number one. What an awesome verse. Because it starts Hosea chapter two and verse number one. What's the very first word? Never mind. That's not what I'm looking at. Where's the yet? Oh, go to verse number 10. Sorry. Uh, Hosea chapter one and verse number 10. What's the very first word? Yet. All right. That's what I want to get at. Hosea chapter one and verse number 10. Yet. Well, what was happening? It was the Lord saying to Hosea, hey, listen, even though destruction's coming, even though I reject where you're at, even though you're gonna be, you've isolated yourself from me, yet, or however. However, if you go and read 10 and 11, there is grace still. And that's where you get to chapter two and verse number one, that now Hosea pleads to his children, instead of saying, lo, Ruhama, not mine, the word is Ruhama. Hey, call your child Ruhama. Say unto Ruhama, say unto am I. Those two names, man, it changes completely. It is the Lord saying to Israel, even though you have walked away from me, my grace and my forgiveness is always available to you. You continue down the story and last week, what we got into last week is Hosea sending his children, Hosea chapter two and verse number one, verse number two, hey, go plead with your mother. Hosea 2, 1, and the entire chapter is, hey, uh, Ruhama and Ami, I want you, Jezreel, I want you to go plead with your mom. And what are you gonna plead with your mom? Hosea chapter two and uh, the very first part, hey, plead with her that she give up her lifestyle. So apparently some years have passed and you have Hosea now saying, hey, kids, go home. Maybe they're teenagers. Maybe they're, caught, maybe they're young adults. We really don't know how old they would be. But go and bring mom home. Go tell her there are consequences for your sin. And you need to understand, mom, that you're, you think you're find, finding satisfaction and fulfillment in, in, all of your, uh, in all of your lovers and all of your relationships. But mom, you are not. You're not finding fulfillment in that. And mom, you think that those, those that you are uh, uh, engaged with, that they're providing for you, but it's been Hosea the entire time. That's what you find all throughout Hosea chapter number two, him saying, listen, I am the one who provided for you. I am the one who's been good to you. And you think about the correlation with Israel. Israel was thinking that they were going through life and finding fulfillment with Molech and Ashtaroth and Baal and all these false gods. And and they were thinking, and literally you do some of the research, they had attributed all of the health of the land to false gods. They had made up false gods of the harvest saying, oh, well, the God of Ashtaroth has blessed us with a great harvest. And the Lord is saying, what are you talking about? Yeah, I, I am the creator I'm the one that created this, and if there's any blessing in your life, it's from me. And so God, once again, using Hosea and Gomer for him and Israel, saying, hey, you have abandoned me and created false gods, and I'm the one that's providing for you. And we were challenged with uh, the thought last week that any time we go through and look for fulfillment in any other places other than our relationship with God, we're going to come up empty 
because only Jesus, only God provides the fulfillment that you and I need. It's his goodness and it's his grace. And boy, God just keeps loving me when I, when I commit uh, spiritual idolatry. You say, well, I've never had idolatry. You know, I've never bowed down to a little idol. But any time, if we put anything before God, that's spiritual idolatry. Your family's a good thing, but if you put your family before God, it's idolatry. Your work's a good thing, but if we put work before God, it's idolatry. Listen, I know there's some sort of a football game going on tonight. I really don't care, but it's because the Broncos aren't playing. But anyway, uh, listen, you got to understand that uh, sports, aren't, sports aren't a problem. You can like sports. You can like hunting and fishing and shopping or whatever you like to do. But when I elevate that above God, I'm committing idolatry. And the Lord says, hey, Number one, you need to realize that the good in your life is because of me. Number two, you need to remember how much I love you and the price I paid for you. And number three, I feel like the Lord sometimes wants to look at us and say, what are you doing? You're seeking fulfillment in that job. You're seeking completion in that relationship. You're trying to be fulfilled. And don't you know that the only fulfillment you're going to receive in life is from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings complete Fulfillment. Well, tonight we're going to discover the next story, the next part of our, of our story out of Hosea chapter number three. And so I want you to stand with me if you would. We're going to read the chapter together. It's just five verses, Hosea and chapter number three. And we'll get into our message tonight. Hosea chapter three and verse number one, you read these words. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend. Yet an adulteress, uh, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice, without an image and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. How afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Hosea chapter number three, I believe is probably one of the most powerful parts of the entire book of Hosea. It's an awesome chapter. There's some prophecy in the chapter, but also there's just a beautiful, wonderful picture of the love of Jesus Christ in this chapter. And so I wanna pray, and then I want us to get into this tonight. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just take a minute and just commit the time to the Lord? You can pray something simple of, dear God, I wanna to commit tonight to you. Just the next few moments, I want to commit it to you. And then would you pray and ask God to speak to your heart tonight? Lord, thank you again for your word, and thank you, Father, for just everything that you are doing in our church and in our lives. And Father, we want to praise you for the passage before us tonight already, and uh, Lord, how you have uh, spoken to us and challenged us um, with this before, and I pray that you'd do the same thing tonight, that you'd work in our hearts once again. And uh, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that does not know if heaven would be where they spend eternity, 
I pray, God, that tonight they would see the love that you have for them. Lord, I want to thank you for just all that you're doing and pray that you continue your heart work tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Hannah and I, the other day, we were just kind of uh, thumbing through uh, some pictures and um, I, I, Hannah was cleaning up my office. That's what it was. Hannah was cleaning up my office a little bit and she was telling me, uh, you know, honey, maybe it's time to declutter a little bit. Maybe you need to go through and reorganize and let's put some different pictures in. And so we began to talk about my office. And uh, at one point I, I kind of got all excited. I said, oh, well, there's something I want to do in my office. I said, after our trip to Israel this last year, I want to have an Israel shelf. I want to have a shelf that's just Israel. And I, I pulled out all these rocks that I have from Israel. I pulled these out and of course, she went with me, but I'm pretending like she didn't. I'm like, this is from such and such. I'm like telling her, and she's like, babe, I was with you there. And I know, but it's just so cool, and this is from, and I was just going through all that, and then I said, well, here's what I want to do. I want to print up a bunch of pictures, and I'll put pictures up of my trip to Israel, and she's like, well, how many pictures? I'm like, 11. I have 11 pictures I want to put up. I mean, I really probably have like 850 pictures. I think I took 960 pictures while I was in Israel. For me, that's a lot. And I was like, there's 11 pictures I want to put up. I just, and I started, I started talking to her about how I want it and everything. But then I pulled out my phone and I started going through and looking at my pictures. You know, I love pictures. Pictures, they're often called a snapshot. Well, why? Because it's a snapshot or a picture of a moment in time that captures the memory. Some of you are you know, like scrapbookers. How many of you do ph photograph scrapbooks? You'll be honest, you'll admit it. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? I'm just kidding. Uh, I know we, growing up, we used to do, we used to do uh, scrapbooks. And growing up, we used to have picture albums. Do you still have all those? And mom still has tons of picture albums. And, and we'll go through and take those pictures and put them in. You know what happens? Those of you that have this and, and those of you that don't, even on your cell phones or computer with all the media now, if you start going through your old pictures, usually you stop and tell a story. Even if you're by yourself. <laughs> right? You're sitting there going through and you look, oh, Oh, I remember that. Oh. Man, my, they were so cute in that outfit. Man, what happened? They got so big. As a parent, you know, you're looking at your kids, and oh, I remember. Oh, and you're sitting by yourself, tearing up, like, oh, you know. Your kid comes in like, Mom, that was last week. I know. Just, uh, you think about this. A picture, it just captures a moment in time that you almost want to go back and relive. That's what a picture does. It's just a, just a snapshot. When I come to Hosea chapter number three, I look at Hosea chapter number three as, as a snapshot of love. And here's what I mean by that. I think that with Hosea chapter number three, you know, with, with your pictures, if you look at a picture, you don't remember just the moment of the picture. You remember the moments before and the moments after. That's what makes it so special. When I look at Hosea chapter number three, I remember the moments before with the children of Israel and God's grace. But then I believe that Hosea chapter number three is a great, the word is type. It's a great picture of things to come for the children of Israel. It's a snapshot of love because while Hosea is loving Gomer and God is loving Israel, 
we can see Jesus and his love on the cross. What a wonderful picture that you find in Hosea chapter number three. As we come and we discover this snapshot of love tonight, there's a few things I want us to see, and we'll see those in just a few moments, but let me tell you kind of what's taking place when you get to Hosea chapter number three. As you come to Hosea three, uh, again, we, we need to read Hosea two, that phrase, go plead with your mother. The children, they had gone, and I just recovered that recapped this, so I'm not gonna do it a lot. They had just gone, they had pleaded with mom, and if you remember Gomer, her answer Hosea chapter two, and I think verse number five, her answer begins, and her answer basically is no. I'm not coming home. I'm finding fulfillment. I think I'm finding fulfillment in, our, in my relationships. I'm not coming home. Well, then you go through, and I won't re-preach that message we did last week, but what seems to have happened when you come to Hosea chapter number three is that Gomer had immersed herself so much in this life of prostitution that she had actually sold herself to somebody. That's when you come to Hosea chapter number three, that's what's taken place. She now is the property of somebody else and she has a debt that she cannot pay. Her life had taken her so far down that she owns, she's owned by somebody else, she has a debt she cannot pay, and there's a situation that she cannot dig herself out of. And so you read where God says to Hosea, hey, go and buy her back. Go and buy her back. <clears throat> now, Hosea, in his love, he goes and, and he buys her back. And we're going to see that tonight. But before we get into that part of the message, I want you to skip down to verse 4 and verse number 5. Because as we've seen all along, underlining the theme is that action message of God to Israel. And this is shown to us once again. Hosea 3, 4, it says this, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without teraphim. <coughs> what this is speaking about, these verses are very prophetic of the specific future of Israel. It would be just a few short years that Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, a few short years that they would go into captivity. And so what you have is the Lord saying, hey, uh, my people are going to be in captivity. They are going, just like Gomer has sold herself over to this lifestyle, my people are going to be going into captivity. And Israel, it happened. A hundred years later to Judah, it happened. Nebuchadnezzar, the book of Daniel. Uh, those of you that know the word of God, you're, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that know it, those that don't, Nebuchadnezzar would come in, conquer all the land, and the children of Israel no longer have their homeland of Israel or Judah. That was prophetically given here. You look at the, the phrases, they're gonna be without a king. Israel didn't have a king. Uh, those were killed. Without a prince, there's no ruler. No sacrifice because there's no temple. No image, so there's, there's not even false worship taking place. There's no ephod, no teraphim. There's nothing happening in Israel that resembles the nation of Israel and their relationship to God. That's, what's, that's what God's saying in Hosea chapter three and verse number four. But then you have the redemption part. And that's verse number five. Won't do all this. Hosea 3, 5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And so these verses, prophetic of Israel's return to the Lord and Israel's return to the land. 
This would speak of the coming time following the battle of Armageddon, a time when God would once again and once and for all bring the people back to himself, a time of redemption all based upon God's love. All right, I say all that because I want to get all the prophecy out of the way. We did, we did a whole prophecy series last year. So we're going to get the prophecy out of the way. We know God is speaking about the future of Israel. But I want to look in this chapter, and I want to see this snapshot of love about how Hosea's love for Gomer resembles so much God's love for you. And I want you to see this tonight. I first of all want you to take your Bible and notice with me what we're calling the reach of his love. The reach of his love. If you go to our passage, Hosea chapter 3 and verse number 1, notice what it says. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord, toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. In this verse, what you find is the Lord instructing Hosea to go and buy back Gomer. But he's basically essentially saying, hey, go love someone who doesn't love you in return. That's, that's what the Lord's saying to, to Hosea. Go love someone who is not faithful to you. Go love someone who is not uh, pursuing you, but is instead pursuing others. Go, hey, Hosea, she doesn't know it yet, but Gomer needs you to love her. Go buy her back. Go love her anyway. This maybe caused us to kind of think, is Hosea, um, is his love starting to, to feign a little bit? Is he kind of maybe thinking in his mind, I'm done with this? We don't know exactly what Hosea was thinking. We just know what God told him. Hey, Hosea, go love Gomer in spite of her. She hasn't loved you. She's had affair after affair after affair. She has children with other men, even after she's been married to you. Hosea, she, she's not faithful to you, but I still want you to love her. <clears throat> it was the Lord saying to Hosea, love the unfaithful and love the unlovable. You know what God is doing? He's asking Hosea to have a love that's going to reach way down. Hosea, I want your love to reach into the depths of somewhere you probably never thought possible. I want you to love someone who, by most definitions, would be completely unlovable. You know, if you think about this tonight, and this is as I was pondering and thinking about this this week and even yesterday as I was putting uh, all the words to paper, as you think about this, I believe that the challenge, uh, follow this, I believe the challenge in Hosea chapter three and verse number one, I believe that is a greater challenge than the challenge in Hosea chapter one and verse number two. And here's why. Hosea chapter one and verse number two Go marry, go, go marry a prostitute. Go marry Gomer. Hosea didn't know her. Hosea just knew her lifestyle. Okay, so let's put our mind, let's put, let's put our mind into Hosea's uh, mindset for just a second. If I'm Hosea, I'm thinking, okay, God asked me to do this. I'm going to go love her, and I'm going to go pull her out of that lifestyle, 
and I'm, I'm going to win her over. Men, would you be thinking that? I mean, I think I would. I'm going to win her over. I'm going to cause her to love me. And this is God's plan. God wants me to do this. And so it's going to be a beautiful sign. And I'm going to go win her. We're going to forget the past. Forget everything that's happened. And, and, and just invest in our marriage. And, and so I almost think that Hosea is kind of going into it with a little bit of expectation. A little bit of hope. A little bit of, you know, forgiving the past and moving forward to the future. That's maybe Hosea's mindset in Hosea chapter number one. Okay, fast forward 20 years. He's lived through all of this. And the Lord comes to him again and says, Hosea, I want you to keep loving her. Okay, listen, if we're, if we're thinking about this rationally, the love he's being asked to show in Hosea chapter three is greater than the love he was asked to show in Hosea chapter number one. I believe it's just two different things. Because now God is saying, hey, Hosea, I know that you've been despised in her eyes. I know she's rejected you time and time and time and time again. Hosea, I know things are totally off the rocks right now. Hosea, right now, your life is in a blender. Love her anyways. Man, that's a pretty serious request. Perhaps Hosea could, you know, try to have a positive outlook. Hell yeah, I'm okay, Lord, I, I'll try. I mean, you talk about a challenge. Hosea's facing a challenge. When I look in this verse, the Lord is very, very clear in the comparison of Hosea's love and his love. Because here's what God says in Hosea chapter three and verse number one. He says, I want you to go love her according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. Hey, Hosea, it's possible because I have demonstrated this type of love with Israel all throughout the last Thousands year, thousand years, I've done this with Israel. Hosea, it is, I'm not, listen, I am not asking you to do something that I have not already done. I don't think you caught that. I'm not asking you to do something that I have not already done. Isn't that the truth with God? God does, he never asks us to do something that he has not already done. And the same is true here. Hosea, go love according to or just like or in resemblance of the love that you have seen, you've seen me have toward the children of Israel. Man, what a phenomenal thought. The Hosea, go love her just like I loved Israel. I mean, you think about this. Israel had pursued other gods and yet God loved her. And this is the Lord saying, hey, I love selflessly. I love faithfully. I love uh, regardless of the love that I'm given. And my love reaches way down. Hosea, I want your love to reach way down just as my love reaches way down further than anyone could ever imagine. And you think about the love that God had for Israel. Loving Israel in spite of unfaithfulness. Loving Israel in spite of Israel fleeing him. He, he just continued to offer grace and forgiveness even though his grace and forgiveness was rejected and, and turned back upon. Hosea, I want you to love Gomer just like that. Man, it's a great picture of God's love toward his people, but it's a great picture of God's unconditional, unchanging love for you. 
You see, God loves you with this type of love. Romans chapter five, verse six through eight, it says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, he commendeth or demonstrated or gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That phrase, while we were yet sinners, means in the midst of committing sin, God died for us, Jesus died for us. He loved us in the midst of of our sin. You think about the promise given in Jeremiah 31, 3, where the Lord said, where it says this, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Think about the verse that Micah read this morning, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. I love 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. Behold, the word behold, it means stop. Hey, pay attention. Behold, stop. Pay attention. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. But that word behold, it's like someone holding up a big neon sign that says stop and catch this. And this is what John was writing. Hey, you need to stop and pay attention to the love that Jesus Christ has for you. And may we never look at the love of God uh, that, that he had towards us is just a little simple love. No, my friend, we have to understand the reach of the love. You may say, well, I'm not as bad as Gomer was. I'm not like Gomer. I'm not like so-and-so. We've already covered it. One sin, one sin taints the entire life. And your life and my life is tainted before God. And yet God says, I still love you. And you know what makes it an even greater thought Hosea, when he was asked to marry Gomer, he didn't know what the future held. Hosea was maybe thinking, she'll be faithful to me. She'll love me. I said that a second ago. And yet she kept turning back. Can I just tell you, when God said, you're forgiven, when God reached out his arms on the cross and said, I love you, he knew. You say, he knew what? He knew what the future held. He knew the times that you would say, I love you, God, and turn your back. He knew the times that you would say, yes, God, you can have first place, but my family. Yes, God, you can have first place, but my home. Yes, God, you can have first place, but my job. You can have, no, not that area. God knew all of those times, and yet, you know what he still said? I love you. I love you. Man, you talk about the reach of his love. Hosea's love reached way down into the scums of sin. And we have to understand that God's love for you and I reaches way down as well. Man, God's love reaches way down. I see, first of all, tonight, I see the reach of the love, reach of his love. I want you to see, secondly, what I'm calling the revealing of his love. The revealing of his love. Look with me at Hosea chapter 3 and verse number 2. Hosea obeys. And it says, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and half homer of barley. God's saying, hey, Hosea, not only do I want you to have love for Gomer, but Hosea, I want you to show your love for Gomer by paying a price. 
I said this a few minutes ago, but it would seem or appear that Gomer is now owned by someone for the purpose of her lifestyle. Gomer has hit rock bottom. She has sold herself to this life of sin. No longer is it a choice. No, she is trapped in a debt that she could never pay. Her freedom is no more hers. And God instructs Hosea to go and buy her back from that debt. Hosea, I don't want you to just have a feeling of love. Hosea, I don't want you to just say that you love. Hosea, I want you to reveal your love by paying a price. The price, 15 pieces of silver and a homer and a half of barley, it'd be a measurement of barley. Hosea, I want you to show your love for her by paying a debt that she could never repay. It's something that she can't do. And it doesn't really take much to see the correlation of God and his love for you and me in this. Because you and I had a debt, the debt of sin, the punishment of sin, eternity in hell waiting for us. Every single person, listen, I don't care who you are, every single one of us, the Bible says, for all have sinned. Everybody. You don't teach a child, we've gone through that, you don't teach a child to sin. I never had to sit Dennis down and say, all right, son, now here's how you tell a lie. He just kind of knew it. Hey, now here's how you, you don't, you don't have to teach somebody to sin. Sin just comes. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all born in sin. And yet, Jesus died on the cross paying a debt that we could never pay. Well, pastor, I've always been a part of a church, a religion, that said I could work my way to heaven. You know, I could, I, could earn, I could kind of pay it back. I could pay that debt. That's not in the Bible. Well, pastor, I went to a church that told me if I got baptized, you know, I was a baby and, and they, they sprinkled me when I was a baby. And Listen, that's not in the Bible. That can't wash away sins. And I, I realize who, who, who's here tonight. I realize who I'm preaching to tonight, Sunday night. I understand that. We hear this all, all the time. But we need to be reminded again that he paid a debt that we cannot pay. Humanly thinking, humanly thinking, Craig, we probably think, I mean, I mean humanly, we think there's got to be something I could do. Right, Jim? I mean, that's just the way we are. Is, you know, I mean, everybody I meet that I've witnessed to, John, they just, they kind of have this. No, there's got to be something. You know, there, there's, surely if I gave enough to the church, that would earn me something. Surely if I, if I went and I did enough things, Ronica, if I went and I, and I helped people cross the street and I mowed people's lawn, I was just kind of the good Samaritan. Surely if I do all of that, I could pay it back. No, friend, listen, this is a debt that you can't pay. We, we cannot do that. And I, I, I realize that we, we get it, but sometimes we kind of forget. Sometimes we forget the debt that he paid. And you say, why did he pay that? Because him paying the debt was him revealing his love. It's said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life. He died my death. And God revealed his love for all mankind by paying a debt that we cannot pay. And I love the fact that he not only died for your sin past, but he died for your sin future. He knew that you were still going to walk in the flesh. 
He knew that even after you trusted him as savior, that there would be times when you stepped out into sin. And yet he still paid it. Think about it. If, <coughs> excuse me, if, if, if you were God and, and you could orchestrate this, wouldn't it kind of be like, okay, when you mess up, you got to make it right by giving me 10 bucks. When you mess up, you've got to make it right by doing a good deed. Right? I mean, logically, that's kind of the way we think. But here's what Jesus said. Even after you trust me, there's still going to be times where you choose to sin. But I want you to know that the debt back here, it's been paid completely. Past, present, and future. It's all paid. I, I know that you're going to step into that. It's paid. Oh, so Pastor Fountain, um, <clears throat> you're saying that if a person receives Jesus, they could like go out and do anything and still be saved. Yeah. I can't believe that. Pastor just said we can go out and commit any sin and still go to heaven. Past, present, future is paid. There's a however, though. However, when you realize the debt he paid, it's going to cause you to not want to sin. I love the verse, and I quote it often. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Man, if, I'm, if sin was what he died for, and the Bible says that I am dead with him, and my sins and physical, my flesh, is the old nature of sin has died off with him, how shall we continue any longer therein? No, even though the future's if sins are forgiven, it doesn't give me an excuse to sin. But I just want you to know that because we still live in this flesh, there are going to be times that we, we take that step, and God still says it's still forgiven. Man, what an amazing grace. What a, what a, great, what a great sign, the, the, the revealing of his love. Hey, I'll show you how deep my love is for you. I'll die for all of your sin. And all of humanity's sin was placed on Jesus at the cross. That's the cup of wrath that he speaks about, I believe, on the cross. Let this cup pass from me. We think about Jesus not wanting to die, the executioner's death on a cross and being put to death that way. Listen, I believe that Jesus, when he said, let this cup pass from me, he was saying, I don't want the sin of the entire world on me. I don't want that. Because he knew the weight of every, listen, the weight of the murder all went on him that day. I've been bringing up political things lately just because it's all over the news. This, uh, this nine-month abortion stuff going on in New York. Man, I don't know what your past is. Maybe you've had an abortion. We're not talking about the past. We're talking about the future. and need to understand that, that, that biblically, that is murder. Well, that's not my political view. Listen. That's God's political view. And it, it's sad. But you know what? 
Every one of those abortions went on Jesus when he died on the cross. Man, every rape, every thought, every lie, every theft, every affair, every idolatry, everything, not just from you, but from all of us, it was put on Jesus at the cross. You know what that shows me? An incredible revealed love. Man, the reach of his love was deep. The revealing of his love, it was drastic. Man, it was something that we look at and say, how could he love me like that? I see the reach of his love, the revealing of his love, but I want to close tonight by looking at the response to his love. The response to his love, notice if you will, verse number three. Hosea now speaking to Gomer. Says, I said unto her. So now he's bought her. He's showed the love. His love has reached way down. I said unto her, thou shalt abide from me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. This is Hosea telling Gomer what the right response to his love should be. Hey, Hosea, or excuse me, hey, Gomer, the right response to your love, or the right response to my love is for you to love me back. The right response for my love is to you to be faithful to me. The right response is to you to be faithful and, or to be uh, fulfilled only by me. Essentially, Gomer, the right response is to return the love. Gomer, that's the right response. No more going off on your own. No more of the sinful lifestyle. No more searching for completion with others. No, Gomer, love me because of my love towards you. And let me just say tonight that in your life and my life, this is the proper response for us as well. The proper response to you and I for God's love toward us. That deep love that reaches way down, that uh, revealing love that says, hey, I'm going to display it for you and I'm going to pay for your sin. The response for you and me, listen, the response is, God, I want to love you back. I just want to love you the way you loved me. Love and loving him back is and should be the greatest motivation in your life. All other motivation will leave you frustrated, unfulfilled, resentful, and ultimately wandering again. Oh, you don't lose your salvation. But when you and I have the response of well, he won't care. Well, I'm forgiven. When we have the response of nonchalant, eh, whatever. You know what's going to happen? We're just going to fall right back into this. We're going to step right back into sin. But when we, when we let love be our motivation, man, Paul said it, the love of Christ constraineth me. Man, his love keeps me focused on loving him in return. There's different motivations in our life, and I want to cover these very quickly tonight. You know, when love is the motivation, faithfulness, fulfillment, and real freedom is the result. When I, when I listen, <laughs> let's get right to it. 
When I come to church because I love him and not because someone expects me to, I get more out of it. When I tell people about Jesus because I love him and I want them to know him, I find completion in that. I find fulfillment. When I choose not to sin, not because it's expected of me, but because I love him, I find real freedom as a Christian. We have different motivations in our Christian life. I'll give you a few of these tonight. Sometimes people are motivated, they're performance-driven. They're motivated by performance. They try to perform to some sort of uh, acceptance with God. Right, if I, follow this, if I do enough for God, if I, if I could just do enough for him, maybe I'll please him. You know, and, and they look to God almost as that father figure that's just going, Psh, you'll never be like me. And that, that student that can just, that child that could just never do enough to please God. And a lot of Christians, per, being performance driven is their motivation. I've got to serve. Why? It's expected of me. I've got to go. I've got to do. Listen, that's a wrong motivation. Performance driven, wrong motivation. There's a lot of Christians, listen, they're debt-driven. You say, wait, 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 pastor. Didn't Jesus pay a debt we couldn't pay? Yes, but mark it down. He paid a debt he doesn't want you to repay. So a lot of Christians, we're debt-driven. You know, it's kind of like, well, I owe it to God. I mean, I guess I'll go to church, you know, because I, I owe it to God. Uh, I guess I'll give because I owe it to God. I'll tell people about Jesus. I just owe it to God. Uh, I'll be faithful to my spouse. Just, you know, I, I owe it to God. Listen, being debt-driven, that's a, that's a sad motivation. You know what happens when you're debt-driven? Pretty soon, you begin to resent the one you're indebted to. How many of you enjoy paying bills? A couple kids are like, you'll learn, Junior. <laughs> Man, you know what? When that bill comes in the mail, are you like, <laughs> yeah, I love getting mail. I love getting bills. The PUD bill again, I love it. Mortgage bill, love it. No, you're like, ah, more money on my, ah, and you have this urge to pay it. Why? Because it's a debt. But do you enjoy it? No. You resent it. There's a lot of Christians that way. They look to their Christian life and it's debt driven. Well, I owe it to God. Performance driven, debt driven. The other one, guilt driven. There's a lot of guilt driven Christians. And I hate to say it, there's a lot of guilt-driving pastors. I hate, I, I hate, there's been times in our ministry that the Lord's convicted me of this. Because it's, it's easy to put a guilt trip. It's easy to put a guilt trip on ourselves. You know, we just, it's almost like the guilt-driven is a combination of performance-driven and debt-driven. 
Right, I've got to guilt myself. I've got to perform because I just, if I don't, I've got to pay back the debt because if I, and we're guilt-driven. We're just kind of doing it because we feel guilty if we don't. Oh, I missed a day in my Bible. Oh, man, the Lord probably hates me. I'll read tomorrow because I hate how I feel when I don't. You ever been there? That's guilt-driven. What is the only sustainable motivation? Love. That's the only one. Love says, no, I look to what Jesus did for me. And I, I serve him because he loved me. And, and I go to church because he loved me. And I, I choose not to sin because he loved me. And I do all of those things because I want to love him back. I want my love to be in action. I want to show that love. I want to reveal that love. Love says, I look at what Jesus did for me and it provokes me to the response of wanting to walk with him. Love says, I know that he loved me and proved his love to me, so it's my desire to invest my life showing my love for him. Love says, I am focused on Jesus and following him no matter what because of his love for me. And you and I, we need to choose every day to let his love motivate your Christian life. <clears throat> I want to help us tonight by closing with a thought that will, I, I believe when I heard it this last week, I believe this thought can help you evaluate your motivation every day. Quinn, could you come help me? <clears throat> I want to give you a, a story. And if you'll follow me, I believe this will help, help you understand finding that motivation for love. Quinn, you got that mic? Is it on? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Quinn and I are just going to do some role playing through a story. Let's say that Quinn and I, we're next door neighbors. Quinn's a hardworking, he's a hardworking guy. And every day, Quinn gets home at 6 p.m. Today's Sunday. On Thursday of this week, I'm Quinn's neighbor. On Thursday, the mailman delivered the mail. And accidentally, in my mailbox, they put one of Quinn's bills in my mailbox on Thursday. Well, I went home and I was opening up that mail and I saw that bill. Wrote a check and I paid the bill. Well, Quinn, he went fishing Thursday after work and so I haven't seen him. It's Sunday night. Quinn just got home from his fishing trip and I say to Quinn, hey, Quinn. He says, oh, well, hey, Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Yes. This is good role playing, isn't it? Are we good neighbors to be like? We are good neighbors. Okay. <laughs> say, hey, Quinn. Um, I say, hey, uh, just so you know, you were out of town. On Thursday, I got, um, I got a piece of your mail. I got a bill that was yours, and uh, I just want to let you know I, I paid it. Okay, stop. Really? What's his, think about this. What would one of your first questions be? Which bill? <laughs> Is that right? 
yeah, which bill did you pay? Let's say I, I say to Quinn, oh, well, Quinn, um, it was an overdraft fee from the library, $3. Stop. Question. Question. His depth of gratitude, how deep is it? Yeah. You know, he's like... Better getting poked in the eye with a sharp stick. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of mildly appreciative. And here's the thought. Well, could I pay you back? Oh, no, man. It's just three bucks. No, don't worry about it. Okay. But let's say, rewind. Quinn, I paid one of your bills, and uh, just so you know, um, it was your mortgage payment. I, uh, I paid your mortgage payment. Paid a month of that. Really? Okay, wait. Appreciation level. Follow it. Appreciation level just went up, didn't it? Okay, follow this. Rewind. Hey, Quinn, I paid your bill. And uh, listen, when I got it, it, it was your mortgage, your monthly payment. Um, but Quinn, I, I went ahead and I saw the principal that you owed on the house. And uh, just so you know, um, I paid off your house completely. Okay, this is, this is just a story. It's just an illustration. But listen, don't, don't miss this. This is so good. Appreciation level, it just went through the roof. Didn't it? It, it just went to, uh, wait, I'm sorry. One second. You did what? I paid your mortgage. Quinn, how do you feel towards me if, as your neighbor, I, I paid that mortgage? I mean, how do you feel towards me? Unspeakable gratitude. Would you feel that? Someone like literally paid your house mortgage? Uh, yeah. What would you, you know, like say the next day? Hey, Quinn, listen, man, I'm going on a trip. Um, yes. <laughs> could you mow my lawn while I'm gone? Yeah. Could you walk the dog while I'm gone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Quinn, could you check the locks on my house? Sure. Yeah. Hey, Quinn, listen, I know, man, inside the house, I've got some valuables. Would you, would you protect my stuff while I'm gone? Mm-hmm. Question. Is he going to do that now because of just indebtedness? No. He's going to do it because of gratitude. Because indebtedness says, I'm trying to pay it back. Quinn, you don't need to pay it back. I, I, I paid that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to pay it at all. Now it goes from performance, because I'm your neighbor trying to please you, past debt, because I just, I don't have to repay it. I don't feel guilty trying to pay him back. Why? Do you see what he did for me? So now... His motivation to be a good neighbor, his motivation to be a friend, you know what it's based on now? It's probably based on love. Why? 
because of the payment I made. Let's connect this. Do you want to know why? Listen. Do you want to know why some Christians don't live motivated by love? Because they look at the, listen, don't miss it. They look at the debt like the $3 overdue bill. They look at the payment Jesus paid like the $3 library bill. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he paid for my sin, but I, I wasn't that bad. You know, I got saved when I was five, six, you know, I wasn't that bad. Some Christians, they're debt-driven. He, he paid a, they're the, they're the one-monthers. He paid the mortgage for a month, so I got to repay him for a month. They're the Christians that are kind of off and on, off and on, off and on. Why? Because I'm debt-driven, and then eh, I just kind of lose it. Oh, wait, I forgot. And they're just going back and forth. But the love-motivated Christians, you know what they say? His love had to reach way down. And he paid something that I could never hope to repay. God the only right response is gratitude. And because of that gratitude, what can I do to show you I love you? What can I do? You loved me. And I'm not trying to repay you. I'm not. Your love constrains me. Your love motivates me. So now, thanks, you can be seated. Now, I go to church, not because of a debt, not because of guilt, not because of performance. I go because I love him. Why? Because I'm viewing it in the proper light. I'm understanding Jesus didn't die on the cross for a $3 library bill. He died on the cross to pay something that I could never, ever, ever hope to pay. Jesus, that's why I want to read my Bible. I just want to love you more. You loved me. Jesus, that's why I serve at church. I just want to show people I love you. And you think about that. That truly is unspeakable love. And when you and I let love motivate us each and every day, man, when we do that, that's when we can abide with Christ, finding fulfillment, finding joy, finding peace. We literally find everything that Jesus promised to us when we're motivated entirely by love. May each one of us tonight, may we look at Hosea chapter three, the snapshot of love, and may we say, God, you've reached way down. God, you showed me your love. You revealed it by dying on the cross. And so God, help me to have the proper response. Help me not to view it like a $3 overdue bill. Help me to understand that it is something I could never repay 
so I don't even need to try. God, help me just to love you back. I want every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. And I want to give this, this is a time of invitation. But before we get to it, I just want to encourage you tonight. If God's spoken to you, will you respond? Maybe you've been motivated by performance, by guilt, by debt. Tonight, would you come to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to be motivated by love. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.